Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast by Knowing Hospitality, the show that deconstructs and demystifies the inner workings of the hotel industry. Here's your host, Adam Knight. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show today. This is a fantastic episode and really gets down into the weeds about sales, marketing, and revenue management, especially relevant as we're starting to see hotels come out of this pandemic and reopening and, and trying to just figure out how to navigate these waters here. Josh is the principal at Hey Hogan, a sales marketing and revenue management consulting company based in Los Gatos, California. So right in Silicon Valley, he's plugged right into the industry. He's been in it forever. He's got a ton of information. He's just got a wealth of knowledge. I really think you're going to like the show today. So rather than me going on and on, let's just get right to it. Here's Josh Hogan, principal at Hey Hogan. Enjoy. Josh, welcome to the show, man. It's great to have hey, you. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. So you uh, you you got this new uh, consulting company uh, going on here. Hey, Hogan. Uh, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about that? What you're doing? Where you're from? Your career? Kind of the uh, you know the the origin story, as it was. Perfect. Absolutely. Yeah, I thought I'd just start a company and name it after what people have been screaming at me for 20 years. So. Uh, <laughs> This is, you know, I have a 20-year background in hospitality. I spent about a decade with Marriott and then five years with Kimpton. Um, and I look at that time period as a period of time where I really was kind of learning the industry and growing up in sales and commercial leadership. So all of that time spent with Marriott and Kimpton was mostly as director of sales um, with close affiliations to revenue and marketing, and then stepped into a role as a vice president of sales, marketing, and revenue management for Woodside Hotel Group. Um, and I look at that time there you know, as something I was very lucky to have. It was um, essentially felt like having a, a postgraduate degree and all of those things that I was able <laughs> to kind of pick up along the way. And being a, a family business was able to kind of step in there and do lab work, right? Like test a lot of different things in all the different commercial spaces, be it sales, revenue, and marketing. Um, and the had a lot of success there, but was also in a really unique situation that I don't think you get to be put in very often where you're able to test so many things and try out new things because you've got a collection of small independent properties that are open to it. So that's where I think I really started to develop my chops and leadership of those disciplines. Mm -hmm. And um, so recently with the the turn of how everything is going this year. I've been put in a situation where I've started a consultancy and I'm looking to help organizations out there kind of get or stay on track and come out of this in the right direction. So hoping to step into some places that might need task force director of sales and marketing help, really help structure and set them up for success in the future. And um, I'm looking forward to diving into that. You know, we've I've been through the 2002 recession in South Silicon Valley after dot-com bust um, and 2009 and had to really grow teams out of that. This is entirely different, but that's, that's how you really grow. That's the, I hesitate to say fun, but that's when like the challenge that's put in front of you really makes it something that's meaningful. Yeah, 100%. And with that background, I mean, having been through all of these, you know, different downturns and, and I mean, there's bad times that happen in good times, right? So you sort Absolutely. of go through all of these experiences and you can draw hopefully on what worked more often, what didn't work. And so, you know, we tried that. It didn't work. Let's try something else. Yeah. Uh, but you know, as you're, as you're pulling back on all, or looking, I guess, taking a 30,000 foot view and looking at it, 
what are you starting to see out there, maybe based on the, the lens of looking in the past and, and what you're seeing today? Sure. Yeah. I'll, I think I want to touch on one other thing as I dive into that, that, you know, looking back on my time coming out of some of these other recessionary periods, that's when you can really make a name for yourself, grow your career, step in and show what you can do. I know it's a little bit cliche to look at things like this as opportunities, but it true. It really is true. Like that is, that is what we have in front of us here. When you're put back to the bottom, the valley floor here, there's nowhere to go but up, right? So um, I think that some people should look at that as, as an exciting time to have opportunity in front of them. Um, you know, I'll dive in here with just a few quick stats, if you don't mind, because this yeah. has been really interesting for me to follow over the last couple of weeks. It's, it feels as though we've kind of hit that valley floor in, in mid-April. So since the middle of April, there's been really minute but small increases in, in demand um, since about April 11th for, for demand of hotel rooms. Um, that's, that's the, the one positive, potentially. You, <laughs> you look at everything else, and that same month, was the largest single month ever recorded for U.S. hotel room revenue declines, declined 82% in the U.S. Okay. Um, it, it's nasty out there. I think uh, Europe had 3% occupancy in April. Uh, the United States had a little over 15%. So, right, do, there's a, a million other stats you can throw out there right <laughs> now, but those, those kind of tell the story. Right, yeah. Um, I follow Jan Fritag a lot. He's the SVP at Star, and he's kind of my—he's the Dr. Fauci for hotels right now. <laughs> he kind of helps me keep track of what's really going on out there on the market, and it's good real-time stats and, and fairly trustworthy forecasts. And the biggest number that I'll leave us with here in stats as we dive into this conversation then is the forecast right now from STR is we have potential to be back at 2010 RevPAR levels by the middle of next year. Mm. So, mm. you know, you let that sink in for a minute and that's a decade's worth of growth that's gone and we're Quite starting down. from scratch. Right. Yeah. So that, that's it in a nutshell. I mean, there's a, it's, it's going to come back in occupancy. No one should be talking about rate growth for three or four years. Like, leave me alone. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear about it. Um, it's, it's not going to come there. That rate is never a V shape, right? That's going to be 23, 24 right, right now. It's let's get the doors open and slowly start welcoming people back. Yeah. Yeah. And slowly, I think, is the operative word there. Like, don't have any expectations, even with occupancy growth, that you're going to see anything really right. impressive at all for quite a while. Yeah. I've talked to a few people that are just, you, know, you look at almost any hotel, and I think a lot of conversations out there right now are more about which wing can we open or what floor can we open, not can yeah. we open the whole thing and what outlets are going to be there. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you're down in, in the Bay Area. Correct. Uh, yeah. We're I'm up in Seattle here. So, you know, two arguably, you know, two of the biggest tech hubs in the country uh, between these two cities here. I mean, I've got 30 plus Amazon buildings all around me right now. Yeah. Um, you know, they're a big demand driver into this market, just like all the tech companies are down where you are. Uh, and they're talking about staying home or having their employees work from home and maybe opening up occupancies and offices at 20, 25 or 30 percent. But that's certainly going to be on a request basis. Uh, it's exactly. not going to be mandated. Um, 
And, and so, you know, you, you look at a few things you've got, you know, a lot of these, these big tech companies in these markets saying, you don't have to travel for work. We're going to do all our gigs on Zoom. You got all of these conferences that have canceled in all of the cities across the country. And some of those are booked a couple of years out, a couple, three years out. Sure. And, uh, and not to mention all the smaller, uh, you know, I don't want to say mom and pop, but, you know, maybe the, the law firms and the accounting firms that have offices downtown are maybe going to take the same tactic of working from home, but not make a big deal about it. Like some of the tech companies do. <laughs> right. And, you know, something occurred a few weeks ago that really, I would say illuminated or underscored the challenge that's out there for hotels right now. And, you know, specialties, the, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 I mean, they have this, what would seem Too to be well, this, probably. this, yeah, this unbreakable business model of feeding business people in downtown urban locations. Yeah. Right. So they, you know, slinging sandwiches and coffees and cookies and, and yeah. catering business lunches and they folded up That's a few broken. weeks back yeah. and it's broken. And, you know, they, they looked at the future and they're like, well, all of these office spaces are going to be, they can, this is not going to be something that is going to be good for us going forward. And they just decided, yeah, I know there's more to it. I'm oversimplifying it, but you get the point. Yeah, absolutely. Tough. I think the, you know, the first step, in my mind, is that regional leisure drive market, right? Let's focus on getting people out of their homes, giving people a little bit of a reprieve. You know, in many ways, the hospitality industry is custom built to help pandemic recovery, right? We've built these clean, safe little incubators. You've got your own room. As long as we're taking care of these spaces for people to get out in many cases and and enjoy, and they're going to be able to get in their cars before they're going to be able to get in the plane, and I think that urge for people to get out right now, their mental health is going to be back a lot sooner than any demand drivers from a business, whether it be group or business travel. Right, right. <clears throat> you know, when I uh, I was part of the uh, relaunch team at the Monarch Beach Resort down in Orange County. Okay. This is going back to four years or five years from now. And and it was something very similar. There, there were very similar conversations going on in terms of how do we get more people to know about, you know, this new resort that doesn't have the St. Regis brand behind it anymore. Yeah. Now we're going out there with, with this new name and yeah, it's, it's a beautiful building and an amazing location, but nobody knows what it, what it is when you, yeah. you just search it and it shows up. And so, you know, we started talking about targeting people on Pandora, you know, doing Pandora advertising. Yeah. So like uh, a certain radius around the hotel, you know, that a lot of trying new things. Yeah. A lot of trying new things. And, you know, that's, you know, you're going to be doing a lot of that. Uh, yeah. I, that just made me think of a, a story. So I'm going to go back to 2002. I just moved back into the Silicon Valley or to the Silicon Valley for my first time. It was right after the dot com bust. And whereas I'm in a town called Newark and we label ourselves the gateway to Silicon Valley because it's distinctly not really Silicon Valley. <laughs> you got to get that name in the title there. And I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, thinking forward to some of the sales techniques that we're going to have to have out there and how it's going to be, it's going to be just a lot more aggressive. And I, again, I'm, I don't know, early 20s at this point. And I have a, a GM who shall remain nameless, but also very, very aggressive to the point of sketchy. <laughs> and um, I'm working at a residence in an extended state property. And we got to the point where on Thursdays and Fridays, we would go to a competitive extended stay hotel and we would camp out in the parking lot 
And we would offer people rates and help them pack their stuff up and drive them <laughs> over to the residence <laughs> inn. Like we had a six story hotel that had just yeah. opened and we were trying to get two floors of it open. Yeah. And that's, it was guerrilla tactics. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I haven't been in a situation like that since. And I never thought I'd be thinking about stories like that in any realistic fashion ever again. Yeah. Yeah. But there's going to be some unique things that are going to need to be done or competitive of a competitive nature on the sales side of things here too. Yeah. And a little more than just dropping off donuts. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, one thing that is, I've got uh, some notes here in front of me too, in terms of the, just the star data I was talking about mm-hmm. that reminded me as I think through that select service story, the playing field gets level here too, right? Mm-hmm. So the hardest hit right now, and I think for probably a couple of years is that luxury and upper upscale class. Mm-hmm. And you've seen the demand for those properties just drop precipitously more than, than your um, economy or select service brands. Right. And now those properties are going to have to market towards their luxury customer, their normal customer, and really also focus on like, how do we bring in that budget oriented customer and offer them whatever we can? Like, how do we reevaluate our product offering? Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, when you've got some of these big, you know, upper upscale and luxury brands that have the marketing uh, power behind them and the name recognition. And when they start competing on rate with some of these smaller, maybe, yeah. uh, mid-tier or, you know, further down the chain type of properties, it's going to be really tough for some of those smaller hotels to compete. Yeah. And your urban markets, I think, will feel that the most, right, where you've got a high concentration of all of the different segments and tiers of hotels within a couple block radius. That's why I really think some of these destination properties it's not a leg up, but it's just a different type of sell right now, like getting people out. I think the, the urban markets are going to have a really tough competitive time coming back and should expect it to be a little bit longer road. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting point. So, you know, with some of these smaller hotels, you know, just speaking about marketing and positioning and, um, you know, going up against some bigger names, I mean, the, the big talk right now, of course, is all about um, cleanliness and sanitation and safety and sure. all of those things. Those are all very important, but that's going to start to go away. You can't necessarily trade on right. that going forward. So how right. do you, you know, what's the message that some of these smaller companies need to get out there so they can compete? Yeah, I think you hit on it right away here in that there's already been a lot of marketing of our practices around how we're cleaning and what we're doing to help through this pandemic and get people feeling safe coming back in the door. Mm-hmm. I think what's important to realize from a marketing perspective really quickly here, as soon as that message is out, they're like, okay, we have this, we've done it. That's not a marketing benefit. That's an amenity. That's, mm. you know, like someone's going to be looking for travel. That's like saying we have beds now, right? <laughs> you have to have a clean hotel. <laughs> right. um, so I'm, I would encourage people to, as quickly as possible, try to move back to your positioning statement. Like, why are you? What are you doing? Like, what, what were you six months ago? Refocus, double down on your efforts there because marketing cleanliness, again, that's, that's not something that people, I'm not it's leaving my house to go someplace cleaner than my house. <laughs> like, what are you offering me exactly? Yeah. Um, 
And I, I say that from a sales mindset too, in that, you know, when we train, when we train sales, we're training to sell benefits first and then complement the benefits you're selling with the features of your product. And if you're in a situation where you're having to overcome objections, but we always try to ensure we instill one of the last things I train is never to minimize thoughts of safety or security. Mm. They're just impossible things to minimize or sell against because there's such a personal feeling about them that you don't want to get stuck in, in diving into those with someone. You're going to end up in an argument, not a sales conversation. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the industry will lead its messaging that way. I don't think we need to. Um, so again, you know, I mentioned earlier, start by talking to your drive market, be a refuge for your community. You know, it's a quiet, safe space to work. Even maybe, maybe that's how you get local business travelers back. Mm-hmm. Um, air travel is almost certainly going to lag hotel recovery. Hotels should hopefully start to come back sooner because of that drive market. Um, and then I think I'd want to reemphasize again, throw your business plan away. Like, you know what your positioning is. You've got to rewrite who you're going after because you're, I don't care what tier hotel you are, your demographic just changed. You're, the people that can afford you has changed. <laughs> and so, you know, you've got your demographic from 19. You've got your 2019 luxury customer who may have experienced a loss of income and they need to scale back. Or your mid-scale customer who didn't lose their job and this is their chance to go stay luxury. How do you how do you speak to that customer? So it's really about you know if if I am a hotel on the beach, <laughs> well, God bless you if you're a hotel on the beach right now because you're coming back first. <laughs> um, really focus on those things that you can deliver and speak from speak from the heart about the the joy of travel, right? Mm-hmm. Even the business traveler who can do a meeting via Zoom. I'm someone who just, I love to travel and I know I can do this meeting with you now, but I would rather come have a beer in Seattle. Right, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, you know, sell me that beer. Don't sell me your bed in your clean hotel. Yeah, that's, yeah. And sell the experience, Yeah. right? That's that's kind of what, it's, what it comes back to, create that emotional connection, that hook. Yeah. And make them want to be there. And you're not going to do that with masks and sound. Right, right. It sounds so simple. And even when I say it, I'm I'm wondering, like, am I speaking to anyone out there who's not listening to this? Just being like, yeah, we know. (laughs) But but you don't see it put into practice as much as you hear it talked about being what you should do. Well, and yeah, that's a good point, too. I mean, Sometimes, you know, a blinding flash of the obvious is, is important when you're stuck in the weeds of everything that's going on, because it's very easy to just get wrapped up in the narrative of what's going on right now. Yeah. Say, okay, well, ev- I see everybody getting this message out there. I got to do the same thing so that we keep the playing field level. Yeah. Uh, and that's, um, you know, that might be good f- for the next couple of days here, but you're, yeah. you got to be thinking 30, 45, 90 days from now. I'll say too, as we go through this, I think I really skew towards independent, more boutique type of strategies. You know, as I'm saying this, I think back to, you know, with Marriott, where they really stake their claim is consistency in marketplaces and knowing you're going to get a consistent product, consistent cleanliness. There is a benefit to that when you're looking at a brand of that size, whether it be any of the 
40 brands within that umbrella now. Right. Right. But from an independent focus, I've learned much more to sell what's around my hotel rather than what is in my hotel, because Mm -hmm. that competitive landscape is all about how do we, as a hotelier, give you access to the destination you're visiting. Mm -hmm. It's not about your room as much as it's about where you're going. Mm -hmm. And that that can hold true for larger brands too, but it, that's the finding factor that the independent properties have to really lean on and push because they don't have the massive scalable trust that's mm. built in in a Marriott. You know, that's a really interesting point. You know, if you're following any of the trade journals, any of the posts that you're seeing, I mean, I've yeah. done a, a bunch of webinars over the last few weeks here. And, you know, a lot of them are hosted by senior level executives of brands. And the message that's coming out is that, you know, brands inherently have a trust factor in the market. And right. so, you know, just because you've got this flag on the, on the top of the building, they're going to be better at providing a safe, clean, sanitary environment, strictly yeah. because there's a brand on the door. And it's implied that there's better controls and there's better processes and systems in place. And, um, you know, that's not necessarily always the case, but independence are going to be battling that. Yeah. And you know this, I've seen you actually do this really well in our time working together in the past where you, the independents then need to focus on who can lend legitimacy to your practices, like Forbes, AAA, use right. them as we are certified by this other organization so that the brand recognition right now is more to help you with the trust factor rather mm-hmm. than it is the buying process. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you can sort of hit your wagon to another known entity in the market yeah. who provides a service that might be able to you know, provide some credibility to what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So as with, with some of these smaller properties in particular, because I think it's an interesting road to go down, what are some, from your perspective, some places or some tactics that they might be able to use that are maybe a little non-traditional, but maybe they're traditional, but aren't being thought of right now just to get yeah. their message out there. Yeah. I think there's always this um, fear from the independent side that you can't compete with the brands because of their marketing spend and that power. I, two things here, really, I think it's important to remember that that marketing spend is generated by a percentage of revenue from their management agreements mm. that they're not going to have they'll have more than you still, but that power is going to be diminished a little (laughs) bit right now. Like they're not going to be spending as much unless they're really digging deep into investors and and some of the same, same avenues that some independents might have as well. They're not generating revenue. That's going to generate that then marketing dollars to spend. So the leg up there isn't as dramatic as you would think. And I also feel sometimes, although they're very good at marketing then the you know the trust factor the safety the independent companies can be un- unencumbered by those national campaign needs right like if you're not a, if you're a dependent hotel you're going to be spending money potentially on regional or national campaigns that don't drive traffic directly to you they drive the traffic to the brand around you and that ultimately helps but it's it's not in a situation that I just mentioned earlier with the example about helping people move hotels in an uber competitive marketplace. Mm-hmm. It, you need marketing for your destination, 
I live in Los Gatos. I need to market this town, not Northern California, even in that example. Yeah. Um, so I think that's important to remember. Like you don't, you can compete. Don't, don't go into it feeling like you can't, you've got, you've got similar resources. You just have to focus them in the right way. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing that I would say here that I would try right now this is where I'm going to get some UGMs to unsubscribe from your podcast right now. Um, <laughs> I, it's, it's time to rethink OTAs. Um, mm. You've got an opportunity here. I would really encourage everyone to dive deep into where you're spending your marketing dollars and to first realize that every commission percentage that you spend on an OTA is a marketing dollar. That's, we decided not to market for ourselves as independents. They're doing it for us. So it's a really good point. Right. You know, I, I'll elaborate on this a little bit. I think it's taking back the power, right? And one of the things that um, I did a lot of case studies on this in my, in my time with uh, my last employer. And we, we really looked at, we had a group of 10 hotels and we took a really hard look at how much we're spending annualized with a singular OTA partner and what would happen if we cut that relationship off, took that, that money um, and invested it in the right people and then used the rest for our own marketing. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of hoteliers don't realize is, you know, we're all spending between 12 and 22%. That's kind of the range on commissionable bookings with third parties. Mm -hmm. Probably it's closer to 15 to 18 on average, but it ranges. Mm -hmm. And when you look at a, call it a 200 room or slightly smaller hotel over a year, you can be spending pretty easily a quarter million dollars mm -hmm. in marketing on that OTA partner. And what a lot of hotels, hotels don't realize is that when they're doing that and also spending money on direct customer acquisition, doing their own marketing, they're just driving up their costs. Mm -hmm. And Google's sitting over here in the corner like they own the boxing ring and you're in there with the OTA partner paying to be in the boxing ring, just giving Google your money, both of you fighting <laughs> for who's going to get the eye. And uh, the point I'm trying to make is it's not smart. It's been necessary, but it's not smart to do both. If you're going to have an OTA strategy, just lean into it and let send you your traffic mm -hmm. or do it yourself. But when you try to do both, it's oil and water. You're giving them money to market against you. And then you're paying to market against them marketing against you. You're throwing your own dollars away. Oh yeah. It's yeah. you're driving up the cost of those ads. Right. So take that quarter million dollars in this example, spend a hundred of it on the right person, spend another 150 of it on your actual marketing spend mm -hmm. and drive those customers yourself. Mm -hmm. it, it's hard to do in that example with one hotel with 10, if you can get buy-in, that's where you start to really see success. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, cutting off that, that drip, it's, scary. Maybe it's a faucet. <laughs> it's scary. Cause you're yeah. like, cause your ROI might, might, I mean, it, it's certainly not going to be immediate in it. Yeah. It might even take a year. Yeah. I mean, because just, you know, if you're going to turn off that constant flow of reservations coming into your system. Yeah. Uh, and then suddenly you're going to, you're trying to create awareness around what you're doing. People are already trained to go to 
OTAs. Not everybody, right. you know. I mean, that's yeah, successful they are, because yeah. they have a huge market share. Yes. And, yes. Uh, and, and so, yeah, you just got to be willing to, to, you know, ride out. The, yeah. Yeah. I think the landscape has changed in my mind over the last three or four years, also because of Google, we'll say, um, the market share that OTAs have had to me is a little less relevant because it's all coming through the search engine at this point. And if you can invest heavily enough to be at the top of the search engine, that's where you're going to start collecting the travelers. Um, they're not, very few people are typing the OTA name into their search bar, right? Right. They're searching for the destination. And if you can put yourself there amongst the top two or three, that's where you can start to convert. Um, and it's hard, but I also say, like, what other segment of your business are you fine with just taking 20% off the top? <laughs> no, almost none. Right. Um, and so that's where I think that's just a really smart place to look right now. It's a good opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, I, I guess expanding on that just a little bit here, I mean, typically your strategy might be to layer in, you, you've got your base of corporate travel and then you're, right. you've got, you know, group is a big layer of that. And then you, you put in, you sort of fill in the gaps with OTAs and some, um, you know, leisure travel. But if that, filling in, you know, was this, and now it's this because you don't have group and because you don't have business travel. Yeah. 20%. I mean, you're talking pretty big numbers before you're talking serious dollars now. Yeah. And that's, so that's the argument. Like that's why this needs to be a conversation. I think And every property and every marketplace is going to be different and your competitive conditions, how, how strong your, your regional, your CBB, your destination marketing in plays a role in this as well. Mm -hmm. It's, I should step back and say, I think one of the reasons um, we tried this in my last role is that we had a really solid team of distribution and marketing professionals that could help think through the strategy. There's a lot of people out there looking for work right now. And I think this would require investment in a really smart strategic and hopefully both a strategic and really tactical digital marketer. You have to have this has to be someone's full-time job every day coming in and managing campaigns all day, every day. And if you're doing it for 10 hotels, you might need a team of four people. Mm -hmm. And that feels way like way too many people right now when you maybe can't staff your front desk. Mm -hmm. I, that's why I encourage you to take a step back and don't look at it as the people, but are you going to still spend a quarter million dollars on the OTA this year? Mm -hmm. Look at the bucket of money. And decide what to do with the bucket rather than doing it for people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like that. Yeah. So you know, as we're as we're starting to get our arms around what's going on in the market right now, because I, I think we still are. You know, we're yeah. still trying to figure out where things are at. And yes, hotels are opening right now. I mean, what is it? We're it's June twelfth. So yeah. you know, we'll we'll see this how week, this all uh, all yeah. plays out. But um, you know, we were in good times. Right. Very, no, not, not very good times. <laughs> not that long ago. Um, and you know, good times sometimes will mask bad practices just yeah. because you don't have to work very hard to get the business. Yeah. You know, are there any bad practices that maybe were around when times were good? Not that many months ago that people really need to be on the lookout for now. 
Yeah, I think there's a complacency that comes with good times, right? Like sometimes you're riding the wave and it's it's hard to focus on some of the, the little things or our focus just goes to other things and is much more um, how do we, like what new amenities can we bring to the table? How do we really evolve the experience? Mm-hmm. And we still obviously need to be focused on those things, but from a sales and customer acquisition standpoint, the thing that comes to mind first, I think, is be present with what's going on around you. Like we get um, get on the same page with stakeholders. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say this. Like a lot of times, we're letting budgets drive what we what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to always try to let performance drive what we can do. Right? It's we would often set goals and this is where we have to be really careful about it now based on what we want rather than what can happen. And what I'd love to see um, more and more organizations start to do is for example, run a trailing 12 budget model, right? Like don't spend four months from July to October (laughs) writing next year's game plan that by March of next year, you haven't looked at for three months. Right. Like, I think it's easier said, easier said than done, but getting into a place where, as I said earlier, throw your business plan away and write a new mm-hmm. one today and write a 30, 60, 90, and then go from there, like write that 12 month, month budget, but mm-hmm. redo it every month. And at you know, the end of your month, the last three days, you wrap things up the first couple of days of the next month, then budget February when you've exited February. Yep. And don't just give me this because it gets worse as the year goes along too, right? Like when you're in September each year on a budget that you wrote in July of the previous year, it's mm-hmm. crap. And it's, oh, yeah. Yeah. and you've got people trying to reach goals that may be just completely out of line with reality. Yeah, and no. so I think we end up there because stakeholders and financiers operate a little bit differently. We need to mm-hmm. learn how to work with them in that mm-hmm. regard and make sure that there's a sense of, um, you know, we know what's going to happen this year or still have a plan in place. Right. But flexibility there is going to be key. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, that's, I'll pause there for a minute. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a good point. It was a practice that I came up doing anyway, was reforecasting, you know, the rest of your year every month. And yeah. that was something that was driven in the large brands. Um, right. But, you know, there was always, you always had a focus on budget, but it's a snapshot in time. And it's really, you're really looking at a crystal ball. You're using the best information available to you at the time when you did it. Yeah. And it doesn't take into account because it can't anything that changes going forward. Exactly. That's why you forecast, right? Yeah. And, and that's, um, that's a practice, I think, that more than ever today, uh, because our industry is changing hour by hour right now. Exactly. Uh, that you got to get in the practice of doing Sure. You know, the other big thing that um, I'll riff with you a little bit on here on, I've got some ideas about it and I've really been thinking about this for the last four or five years. And I think it's an important thing to take stock of right now as well. We need to try to find better ways to bring true sales professionals into the business. And that when you look at under industries in sales, be it pharmaceutical or finance or whatnot, you have these laser focused individuals who are trained on sales and contracts and negotiations and that's what they do and 
they're not asked to step behind a front desk or go deliver an appetizer to a table. Again, you know, GMs are unsubscribing like crazy right now. Um, <laughs> but like get sale, get these high powered salespeople potentially out of the building and let them be sales, right? Like differentiate them. It's a different personality type. The best salespeople sometimes are really bad at customer service. <laughs> not always. Like sometimes you can do both. Yeah. But they're trained to not hear no. And right. they're they're not gonna try to take care of that. Like they're trained to get you to get you to say yes and mm-hmm. to plow through. Yeah. And that's yeah. not always the same personality type. Like let the horse run. Yeah. You know, don't so, have it pulling a cart. Yeah. And the, <laughs> the tricky part is right, you need to have people present at the property as well. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I've looked at organizations where can you bring that senior level salesperson offsite, let them sell, let them get in front of the customer in where the customer lives, where the customer is, have them be capable, obviously, of getting to the hotels for site tours and to showcase, but also think you that's where your junior sales team lives. They're at the property, they're detailing events, they're learning the hotel business, they're learning the industry, they're doing the site tours, they're welcoming and hospitable to that customer when they're on site and helping them understand all of the features of the property. Mm-hmm. While you've got this salesperson who can clearly articulate a contract and negotiate with a client much better, frankly, like hotel contracts are can be insane. And, and many, many hotel salespeople haven't read their whole contract. Like they couldn't walk you through it. Mm -hmm. Um, And you really need to have that, that laser focused individual who's good at that. Your, your TMCs on the flip side, like your, your good meeting planners that work especially for big brands, the hours that they spend in learning how to negotiate and get what they want in contracts compared to a hotel sales manager is it's unrealistic to expect the sales manager to compete and get what you want. That's a really interesting point. I mean, you know, again, in the consolidation of uh, trying to expand everybody's jobs across, you know, many different um, departments in the hotel. Maybe you have front desk people, ballet parkers, and being being concierge and and bellmen. Um, sales is maybe one of those departments that you should just kind of allow them to go and do the thing that they do best. Yeah, it's an interesting. You know, we grow salespeople through our hospitality organizations usually, which is how I'd recommend you do it anyway. You want people who know the business. Um, but that adds a layer of like, okay, now we need to train them to be salespeople after we've trained them to be hoteliers and hospitality individuals. So, and I should also say again, I think, um, after a decade of being in the independent space, I'm not saying anything that some of the major companies haven't already tried or already switched to doing, right? Like you look at the Marriott sales organization, they're largely in a very similar situation to what we just described. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in order to compete for the independent hotels to compete at that same level, they need to take a page out of that book and look how that's working and really try to deploy their sales forces in a similar way. Mm -hmm. It's always just been a battle because it's such a, a high touch industry and and you need as many people in the building as possible to take care of guests mm-hmm. and so there there is a fine line there and there are i think you know Marriott again is an example i think they probably went through a lot of growing pain 
convincing a lot of operators to let it happen. Mm-hmm. This is a good period in time to try to let it happen, right? You're, you've got right. 10% occupancy. Right. Let those salespeople really go get good at their discipline and their profession. Send mm-hmm. them to training. Hire people to come train them. <laughs> Plug. Like invest in it. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, call Josh. Yeah, <laughs> he'll come. He'll exactly. Go. Yeah, you're fine getting on planes right now, are you? Absolutely. <laughs> Supply of um, ninety-five masks. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, you know, as as we've been going through all of this here, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of new learnings. But looking back, you know, obviously on old experiences. Uh, and pulling from what you've done in the past to to be successful now, um, as you as you look at your your career and what you've been through and and what you need to learn today, are there any resources that you've you've gone after or uh, places that you've gone to learn to keep your skills sharp uh, that other people might get a benefit from? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I always. In coaching salespeople who are coming up the ranks and looking to see, you know, what they want to do next, what's their five-year plan in sales, I always encourage them to think through the two sides of, I think, what happens in sales and hospitality and that you can go a leadership direction and move up into a director of sales or a regional or VP. And that's the path that I took. I always wanted to be a sales leader. I really liked the structure of it. I liked the business of hospitality and the strategy of it. Mm-hmm. And always surrounded myself with people who were better salespeople than me. That That's not me. I really enjoy being out there on calls and closing and being with customers. Um, but I don't have the energy that some of the salespeople who are just pure salespeople just can constantly bring day in and day out. And sometimes coaching one of those salespeople that wants to be a director of sales and they're just an epic salesperson, like, mm-hmm. go be an NSO, go be that national sales representative, be the face of a company. Yeah, it, It's not that leadership side isn't for everyone. So I start there because I think there's two different sides of it that you can go to. And for me, the things that have helped me grow in my career are staying really tight with my revenue and marketing partners, mm. specifically revenue management, right? I'd always say like the first person I'd want in my commercial organization is a revenue manager who can sell or speak basically, mm. right? Like your revenue manager, you want to put in front of stakeholders. And I look at myself that way a little bit more than a salesperson first. So like, mm-hmm. go get your CRME, learn mm. how to really digest and then reiterate what's on an STR report to someone and help other people understand what's going on in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So I too many, I've come across too many salespeople who've been selling for five years who are like, can you help me look at the star report? You should have looked at that five years ago. So <laughs> right. And right. that'll help you know how to, where to book your business, where you're gonna make money as a salesperson too. So right. I, I definitely lean on that data analysis. Yes, and there's there's it's a very uh, uh, attractive skill if somebody can take data like what's in a star report and create a narrative around it that makes you not only like interested to hear what is actually going on, but right. but that like it just it gives a the story behind the numbers. Anybody can like we used to say anybody can read a PNL. 
right. where I can see what the profitability is. Tell me what's going on behind the numbers. Why are the numbers the way that they are? Right. Uh, and it's a good skill to have. Yeah, that, that's the point, right? I think a lot of salespeople are excellent storytellers. And if you would take that time to train yourself on how to understand some of the financials or some of the things that are going on behind the scenes, you're going to be so great at telling the story. That's what you're naturally good at anyway. So arm yourself with that. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other piece to that, I would say, I, I don't love starting say, hotel salespeople in sales <laughs> like or hiring that pharmaceutical salesperson to come be a sales manager for a hotel. Right. Learn the business. I was lucky enough very early in my career to have an opportunity. I started at the Marriott and Fort Collins in college, mm -hmm. and it was called the Marriott Advantage Partnership Program. Uh, shout out to Tracy Rissman, my first DHR, who got me into that. Thank you. Um, and you spent three months in each, three months at the desk, night audit, housekeeping, yeah. banquets. Huge. 20 years later, that is still huge in my career to be able to at least yeah. have some knowledge of like how to put a dance floor together and a crunch. Mm -hmm. It just, mm -hmm. that stuff is, is extremely helpful and it helps you not sell tight turns when you can't sell a tight turn, <laughs> that type of stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know why they, why you can't do it, you know, it goes into making it happen. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that, um, I think that's, that's key is just learning the business. Um, and one more thing on that front would be, mentors like i'm mm -hmm. i think a lot of salespeople fall into this type a i've got it the type a only child like i'm a, i'm a difficult guy to manage frankly <laughs> um and for me it was critical to find mentors who were right for me like a mentor who could put me in check when i needed mm -hmm. to be um and and learn from like they, the the generation in front of you knows stuff <laughs> like i know you're 20 something and that you're going to be the CEO and you probably will be. But right now, like that latch on to somebody and let them just take you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. That's, uh, that's, that's one of those pieces of advice that you hear so many people in, <laughs> in pretty high level positions across every industry talk about is find mentors. Yeah. Not just unique to what we do. Yeah. Kimpton had a really good program where they, well, frankly, it was just because it was a program. It was, mm. we are going to have a mentor program. And mm. here's how you apply to be a mentor. And here's how you apply to get one. Mm -hmm. And that I just thought that was a fantastic way to really develop talent internally, mm. use each other. Because otherwise, if you don't formalize it, some people are like, how do I, how do I find that person? Mm -hmm. And And then you end up with one or two people who like 20 people want to be mentored by them and they can't. So you've right. got to put some structure around that if you're in a leadership position to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Great. Best practice. So, uh, wrapping up the show here, um, you know, getting to the end of it, I like to find out from people in different positions, different professions. Okay. If there's one thing that people can do in hospitality, in a hotel, in their career, based on your experience that they can put in place right now that would give them the most bang for their time, energy, and effort. From your perspective, what would that thing be? Um, so if you're in it right now and you are frankly lucky enough to be able to step step back into work in the next couple of months, specifically during the time we're in, I encourage all salespeople out there to reach out to everyone in that Rolodex, in your Salesforce database, mm -hmm. and 
don't sell, keep it personal. I think it's, we use the term trusted advisor as a little bit cliche, um, mm-hmm. but be a friend, call, call your customers and listen, ask them how they're doing. If they're ready to buy something right now, they'll tell you they're not. <laughs> call them. <laughs> um, your customers are going to remember the partners that were there to support them when there was mm-hmm. nothing for you to gain from you being supportive. Like right. that, it, those relationships are going to last much longer than this. And at the end of the day, that's what sales is all about. Mm-hmm. The most successful salespeople I know are truly friends with the people who are buying from them. And yeah. I don't know. Sometimes you get in other businesses and even internally in the industry, you know, as a leader for a large part of my career, you've always got to draw that line between being friends with the people you work with, especially mm-hmm. the people you're leading and managing. Mm-hmm. So it can get, you, you need to watch that relationship, but go be friends with these people, like help <laughs> them out. This is the perfect time to not talk shop. Right. Um, so and the flip side of that, from a company perspective, I'll add, is use this opportunity to take care of your people, right? The, I know we're all challenged with what we can pay. Right? A lot of people are out there making 80, 60, 70, 80% what they used to make, for example, mm-hmm. if they've retained their work. Mm-hmm. An example that I've used recently is, for example, if you're looking for what to do with your sales team. Don't kill the incentive plan, right? If you want to cut wages by 80%, figure out what you're paying those people with their incentive and cut the wage back to the point where you can keep an incentive plan. You have a bunch of like coin-operated salespeople out there still, and there's no incentive. What are they? They're going to be spending a lot of time on LinkedIn, right? So (laughs) this is just because you... Not having money isn't an excuse to not take care of people. I think we learned that in our personal relationships as well. You can show love and care without buying someone something. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. I love it. That's a great piece of advice. Good good place to uh, wrap up the show. Awesome. Good. So if uh, people want to find you, if they want to get a hold of you, hire you for consulting gigs, uh, what's the best place for people to go? Sure. There's a quick one pager I set up online. It's heyhogan.com. So pretty simple. Um, I can be reached at josh at heyhogan.com. And um, yeah, I'm out there and I'm available and I will travel. So (laughs) yeah, yeah. Good luck to everyone out there right now, though. I really appreciate this time, Adam. This has been really fun and refreshing to engage in the business. And yeah, I'm looking forward to things starting to trickle back. Yeah, so am I. Thanks so much for taking the time. And uh, it's great to have you on the show. Awesome. Thanks, Adam. Take care. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you want to learn more about Josh or get in touch with him, you can visit his website at heyhogan.com. As for us, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't had a chance yet, hit subscribe on your podcast player and feel free to drop us a line or send us some feedback. You can find out more about the show at knowinghospitality.com. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Proven Principles Podcast with Adam Knight. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. The podcast is brought to you by Knowing Hospitality, a full-service hotel management company that puts your performance first by rethinking the management model. Visit knowinghospitality.com to learn more. Until next time.